Listener Production. So COVID, yeah, that old thing is starting to creep its way back into our lives and the headlines. The new Omicron subvariant spreads across the nation. Australia's three most popular states have recorded a significant rise in daily COVID infection numbers. We could be looking at cases more than double uh, than what we're currently getting. So it's concerning. So there is a new wave happening. We're seeing about 50,000 cases a day around the country, which is almost half the January wave at its peak. But it could be much higher, giving testing rates have dropped off big time. Um, the new sub-variant of Omicron, BA2, is what we're talking about. And in this episode, how worried should we be? Does this still fit with the trajectory we thought we were on? The pandemic slowly ending with waves of high case numbers, but low hospitalizations and few restrictions. We're going to interview Dr. Norman Swan about that in our briefing. First, here are today's headlines. This is The Briefing. It's the 24th of March. It's a Thursday and Jan Franz here for the headline. G'day, Tom. I don't know about you, but I would like to know why Ash Barty (laughs) has decided to retire from tennis. She gave us nothing. She gave us nothing. However, she is going to give us something a little later today. Depending Mm. on when you're listening to this podcast, we might already know. But yeah, she is holding a press conference um, to explain why she's retiring. That'll happen in Brisbane today. Yeah, here's the announcement from the 25-year-old world number one yesterday, just two months after winning the Australian Open. I am spent. Um, I just know physically I have nothing more to give. And that for me is is success. I've given absolutely everything I can to this beautiful sport of tennis. And I'm really happy with that. Yeah, so she posted that video uh, on her Instagram. It was an interview with Casey Delacqua, who's a friend mm. of hers. She seemed really confident in her decision mm. and really at peace with it, you know. And look, tributes are flooding in for her. Um, happy for Ash, gutted for tennis. What a player. Uh, that was a tweet from the British champ Andy Murray. Um, the former WTA world number one, Simona Halep, wrote, I will miss you on tour. You were different and special. We shared some amazing moments and a very short and sweet tweet from Thanasi Kokonakis, respect it. Mm. Simona Halep's nailed it there. She was different. She was special. And I think the defining thing about her is that she's graceful. And she was graceful again yesterday. Kept us hanging, of course, as to what the deeper reasons are behind it. But she has had injury trouble and she talked about how hard it is to work your way back to the top and the effort that that takes and that she doesn't have the will for that anymore. Yeah. I will say it's the second time that she's walked away from mm. the sport. Um, she she did that back in 2014 to have a crack at cricket mm. um, and then return to tennis. And damn, good thing she did too because she is currently the world number one. Um, she's got three Grand Slam titles under her belt, the French, Wimbledon, um, and of course the Australian Open in 2022, which was a really special moment. Yeah, it was amazing. Just to think back two months ago to the way she won that match in the final was just incredible. Apparently she's pretty good at golf too. Her partner plays golf. Okay. Um, This is what she did give us about what's next yesterday. The time is right now for for me to step away and chase other dreams um, and, yeah, and to, to put the rackets down. Other dreams. Cryptic. What could those other dreams be? Will we speculate? Look, She's getting married. We know mm. that. Maybe there's a baby on the way. That's yeah. total speculation. I have no evidence. Today's going to be a gender reveal, I reckon. <laughs> you know what? There have been tennis players that have gone into retirement because Ash Barty's only 25. Yeah. And there's been world champs that have retired at, you know, 22 and 23. And they've come back. They've made a tennis comeback and they've won Grand Slams. It could happen. That's what I'm saying. 
A senior Putin advisor has resigned and fled to Turkey, reportedly over the war in Ukraine. Yeah, Anatoly Chubais uh, was the special envoy for relations with international organisations for sustainable development when he resigned. Um, he is the highest profile Russian official to leave since the conflict broke out. Yeah, he reportedly gave Putin his first job in the Kremlin um, many decades ago. He's also credited as being one of the architects of the economic reforms in Russia under Boris Yeltsin. So a long history, and he's reportedly been cited in Turkey. So it'd be interesting to see if other people take issue with what's happening in Ukraine and, and flee as well. Yeah, to the war front now, and Ukraine is claiming that a city of almost 300,000 people has effectively been taken hostage by Russia. The city of Cherniv, which is north of Kiev, has been under siege for 12 days and it's now completely surrounded. What that means is all routes for humanitarian aid have been cut off. Um, this is according to Ukraine's human rights ombudsman. Yeah, no water, electricity, gas, the infrastructure destroyed, which just highlights, even if this war was to stop tomorrow, so much damage has been done to this country already. Yeah, I think if you look at some of the images that are shockingly coming out of Ukraine, I don't think we've really got a gauge of the death toll, the toll of the injured, um, the toll of the rebuild. You know, it's going to take a long time for the dust to settle before we really know, um, as you say, what the toll of this conflict is. Both sides of politics are putting up federal election pitches today. The Labor leader, Anthony Albanese, He's going to be talking about um, jobs in technology, aiming to achieve 1.2 million tech jobs by 2030. Jobs, jobs, jobs. <laughs> and leaders talk jobs, you know that there is an election coming up. Um, Labor has previously promised to make more than 465,000 places at TAFE free, and they will also fund an additional 20,000 university places as well. And the Prime Minister on the other side is talking up a $2 billion deal with Moderna to build a facility in Melbourne to make mRNA vaccines. Would have been handy a couple of years ago. Um, the Moderna General Manager for Australia has said the facility would be doing world-class development here. Construction will begin this year and they'll make millions of vaccines for COVID-19, influenza and it will begin in 2024. And the founder of Hillsong has resigned. We would like to advise you that Pastor Brian Houston has resigned as global senior pastor of Hillsong Church and the board has accepted his resignation. Yeah, this is a big story. That was the new um, head pastor, Phil Dooley, announcing Brian Houston's resignation at an emergency all-staff meeting. This comes after an internal investigation found Houston had behaved inappropriately towards two women. Um, last week, the church revealed there was an investigation into the incident and that he'd engaged in conduct of serious concern. Yeah, so to flesh this out a bit, one of the complaints referred to Houston sending quote-unquote inappropriate text messages to a staff member a decade ago. Um, there was another incident where Houston went into a woman's hotel room after a conference in 2019. Yeah, and this all comes after the announcement two months ago that he'd stepped aside in a more temporary sense to deal with the criminal charges that he concealed his father's child sexual abuse. But now this move appears to be a permanent standing down. So it's massive news. He founded this church, which is Australia's most successful religious export, and they're expanding enormously in the US. He started it back in 1983. Mm. And uh, you could say that Ash Barty's making a very graceful exit. This is not a graceful exit. 
And a very highly anticipated boxing match has lasted, drumroll please, <laughs> just two minutes. Yeah. yeah, the former rugby league and uh, union great Sonny Bill Williams was taking on former AFL legend Barry Hall. This is a long 70 seconds for Barry Hall. It's going it's going Williams it's win! Sonny Bill, he's the king! Wow. Yeah, so knock him out after two minutes. That audio is from Stan Sport, who were... Uh, um, had a lot riding on that fight. Yeah, it was an interesting one. This actually came up in my family WhatsApp, this one, Jan. My brother <laughs> uh, my brother said, Sonny Bill or Barry Hall, or my other brother, and then the other one comes in who lives in Switzerland, goes, Sonny Bill will eat him for Fruchstark, well, which means breakfast. Okay. Um, heavier, younger, and stronger. And so, yeah, that was the case. Sonny Bill smashed him. He's nine years younger than him. Yeah, I imagine if you had been really looking forward to this game, as many people had, and it lasted two minutes... You might not have got your money or your time's worth. Well, rugby league legend Phil Gould wrote, I've spent 50 bucks on greyhound races that lasted longer than that fight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's now um, some speculation that Sonny Bill's going to take on the former league heavy hitter Paul Gallen. So Mm. this seems to be a very... You know, unique and special genre for ex-footballers, boxing. Is that just Punching where they each other go? In the head. Well, I think people would love to see that on the field in some cases, but they have to wait till they retire and then they're in their, like, 30s and 40s before they start knocking each other out. Anyway, I don't know what it does for um, concerns about concussion, but here we are. They're, they're the sports some people love to watch. All right, in just a moment, Antoinette joins me to talk to Norman Swan on BA2. All right, just when we were happy to see the back of the last peak of Omicron, there's a new sub-variant of Omicron on the loose. Antoinette, it's called BA2. Yep, and case numbers are growing. It's hard to get a handle on just how many cases we have, obviously, because people are doing tests at home. But we know that there's currently around 50,000 a day across the country, but only 2,000 people are in hospital and just over 100 are in ICU. So should we be worried? So our guest today is Dr Norman Swan from the ABC and he has been criticised in the past for being too pessimistic, but he's across all the latest research and the history of pandemics. So let's see where his thinking is at now. Norman, great to have you back on The Briefing. Where do you think case numbers are, are heading? This pandemic is unstable. And we're in yet a new phase of the pandemic. When the pandemic started, we had the first wave, which went on for quite a few months. And then we had alpha, beta, delta. We had we basically had fairly leisurely waves. They came every six months or so, four or five months. Now we're in a big dipper. So we had this huge Omicron wave in December, just as we were getting out of the delta lockdown. And then that went down pretty rapidly. And now we've got the BA2 one going up just a few weeks later, and it'll come down pretty rapidly as well. As we go into winter, it's going to be unclear what's going to happen. But at least with these two sub-variants, these two sister viruses, we're in a fairly short period of dips and peaks. You know, we've heard from a few leaders from different states that case numbers are going to double. We're currently around 50,000 a day. And of course, we don't know how many people are doing rat tests and, and not notifying. Do we know if these new cases are mostly the new BA2 subvariant? Yes, that's the way it looks, is that it's muscled out BA1. It's BA2 that's taking over. Why that 
might be the case is really interesting and important to know because BA1 took over because it had evaded the immune system. That's why it was so contagious. Almost every Australian became vulnerable to, no matter what their history was, no matter what their vaccination status was really, everybody could be exposed to BA1. BA2 comes in and starts muscling it out. The question is, is it more immune evasive or is it con- more mm-hmm. contagious in its own right? And what it, and this is good news in a sense, is that it, it's more contagious in its own right. So as a virus, it's more sticky. For some reason, they don't really understand yet. It is more contagious. It doesn't seem to be a lot more immune evasive, which is great news in terms of the vaccine, although it's got the same immune evasiveness as BA1. How many people could infect from one person? Well, the Wuhan virus was 2.7. Delta, maybe six or seven. This is 12. It's up near measles, what which was is BA1? very contagious. BA1 was probably a little bit less than that. And I never actually heard anybody quoting a, a not for BA1, but it would be a bit less than that. So it's contagious, muscling out BA1. Now, be under no illusion, though, that it's a mild virus. That's the other myth that people have got a hold of. It's milder than Delta, but it's not a mild virus. In Hong Kong at the moment, one in 200 people are dying Mm. of this virus. Is it fair to say, and again, from my representative sample of one person who is my niece, you know, she had Omicron at Christmas Day. She now, presumably Omicron, She's COVID positive again, presumably the the new variant. It's milder this time round. Do you think that's what we could expect from people who've already had the first variant of Omicron? Yes, it's the short answer to that's what you would expect. If people are getting reinfected, it does actually mean there is a bit of immune evasion going on. What a natural infection with Omicron does is give you pretty good immunity against another Omicron. Um, whether it's BA1 or BA2, that's what it seems to be the case. And there's so you're not unlikely all... to get it again? Is that what that means? That's what the British and the Danes are saying, is that reinfection rate is low, but it's early days and they mm. could be wrong about that. I guess the real and simple question everyone wants answered, should we be worried? I don't think we should be terribly worried about BA2 as long as you're, you've had your third dose. And probably quite soon, some people will be, a, lot, a wider group of people will be eligible for the fourth dose. What should worry everybody is the speed with which this has taken off, both of these versions of the Omicron virus, because it's been precipitous and it's been fast. And we've been lucky that it's not been too immune evasive and we've had good protection against severe disease. It's vaccination that's turned it into mild disease. So if you got a new variant, which was significantly more severe and immune evasive, we could be in trouble, in which case we would have to reinstitute mask wearing, control of some indoor environments and so on. So at the moment, with good vaccination levels, we're okay at this time, unlike Hong Kong where they don't. But next time, just got to watch out because the next one, what you will know for sure, is for the next one to take over on top of BA2, it's R0 is going to be higher than 12. It's going to be more contagious. That's why it will take over. But generally, given the way viruses behave, isn't it more likely that a more transmissible variant is likely to be less harmful? No, that's not how the evolution works. That was thought by some experts. But when you look at the history of viral evolution, there's no inevitability to that. But if it's too um, deadly, doesn't it wipe out too many people? Therefore, the virus yeah. doesn't doesn't live on 
which Correct. is sort of the assumption behind my previous proposition. That's right. But there's not a great advantage to the virus to be more severe. All it mm, needs yeah. to survive is to be able to spread. But an accident of evolution can easily make it more severe. Be prepared to put masks back on and have some restrictions because the vaccines at the moment may not hold the line. Norman, that's the most optimistic I think I've heard you in the past two years. Well, it's because we've got such fantastically high vaccination rates. The worry is that not enough people have come forward for their third dose. And notice I call it the third dose. People still think this is a booster. It's not. It's the third dose you're always meant to have. And we've spoken about it on the briefing before. And people really do need to know. The Israelis have just done a really interesting study of third and fourth doses. This is in actually younger people, particularly health workers. And what they showed was that you know, you really do get good coverage with Omicron against severe disease. You don't get great coverage on with the vaccines. This is Pfizer and Moderna. You don't get good coverage against infection. So in, in the past, with Delta and others, you know, you've got 60 or 70% protection of getting the actual infection itself. That's down at about 30% and that wanes, but still really good infection and severe disease, which does wane. And the fourth dose brings you back up a little bit. But their conclusion from this study was that young people probably at the moment don't need a fourth dose and they're focusing on the over 65s. Now, Norman, you and I had a much longer chat on the weekend briefing a few weeks back, which was great, including your family's history, which was amazing. But you also said in that interview that this pandemic has really fit the pattern of many of the historical pandemics that you've looked at and researched over the year, that in a way we won't have to rewrite the history books, possibly the the speed of the vaccine development and rollout will be different this time to other pandemics. Mm-hmm. But basically, is what we're seeing now the way pandemics generally end? The coronavirus has been unpredictable and has defied the predictions of the people who really know what they're talking about, like Professor Eddie Holmes at Sydney University. The most reasonable way of thinking about this is they've got very high levels of immunity moving forward. The virus doesn't evolve with huge levels of immune escape and severity. And we do live with it in that sense. And we have bad years and we have good years, just like we have with influenza. What scares the evolutionary biologists is the possibility, and it already has gone back into animals. So we infect animals, perhaps agricultural animals, they exchange viruses and then spit out a new version of the coronavirus, which could have increased pandemic potential. So they're pretty optimistic about the future in their scenarios, but their pessimistic one has an animal recombination, because it's already come from animals, goes back in, comes back out, and we're fed up with all these um, restrictions and we don't take them on again. And the antivirals get resistance, which is likely, and the vaccines haven't quite caught up with the virus. That could be the worst case scenario. The most likely scenario is that we go into a cycle, just like flu, of good years and bad years. With relatively low death rates, even though the case rates might be quite high at certain points, given good or bad years. Well, in a bad year with flu, you get a lot of deaths. Mm. Um, So the bad years, and you can get deaths in young kids. That's not been the pattern with coronavirus. It's It's been very mild in young kids. So it's not just the elderly. I mean, we forget this is the worst year of the pandemic in Australia. We've got the same number of people dying each day as died in the entire experience of the floods, and they were tragic deaths. But that's the number of deaths we've got 
every day at the moment. Well, that raises so, a much bigger question about how we value lives because COVID really focused our attention on the numbers of deaths and even on days where we had single figures and respect to those families, um, we were getting very concerned early on in the pandemic, but now the numbers are, are well into the double figures every day and we're not talking about it anymore. And then you look at how many other people die for, for different reasons and the measures we could have taken that we didn't to save those lives, which gets us into kind of very big, tricky philosophical territory. It's because people are sick of sacrificing their freedoms and their movements. That's the feeling I get, you know. People yeah, go, oh, yeah. it is Look, sad. People are going to have to die, but life has to go on. I'd like to go to Bali. And they die for many other reasons. Exactly. The worst year of the 1918 pandemic was 1920. For the same reasons, people just got sick of wearing masks and, and mm-hmm. moving around. And it's psychology as much as philosophy. What happens when you talk about things a lot when it becomes part of the background, we never used to get too upset about the fact that 18,000 people died a year of smoking-related diseases, mm. which is where you're going with this, because it's in the background and it's kind of usual. And what's unusual is a war in Ukraine. What's unusual is a hurricane. Mm. What's unusual is a 737 falling vertically mm. into the ground. And we've got a 737. I haven't done the maths recently, but it's a 737 every two weeks is what we've got in Australia at the moment. Yeah. But because it's not that sudden, dramatic, unusual event, it's kind of gone into the background and it's a common psychological response. So that was the one and only Dr. Norman Swan from the ABC Radio National Health Report and CoronaCast. If you want weekly updates now, not daily updates on the coronavirus. He also has a book, so you think you know what's good for you. You know what, Tom? I went into this not too concerned. I'm, you know, a bit chilled at this point in the pandemic. Mm. And some may criticise me for that. But now I'm even more relaxed because that's the most optimistic I have heard Dr Norman Swan in two and a half years. Yeah, he was still quick to go, well, here's the worst case scenario, but the central case is this. And yes, hospitalisation rates are really low. The vaccines have made this a mild disease and we're going to see case numbers come and go. But for now, we can keep getting on with the freedoms we've just started to enjoy again. Yeah, welcome news to me. Listener.